0: Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. If you want to turn to uh, John chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 2 on. And this tells of Jesus healing a paralyzed man on the south Sabbath. And it's a controversy about which is most important. Obeying the law or doing good? And this problem should sound somewhat familiar with our Attorney General who has appealed to Christianity as justification uh, for harming children. So let's read this text and see if Christianity promotes hurting people under the auspices of upholding the law. So reading from chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, Waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been a long time in that condition, he said... Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick your pallet up, and walk. And immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, well, who is this man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who healed him did not know, or the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, Jesus is rejected by the Jews because he heals. He redeems from among those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, and waiting. Because of their law, the Jews would keep the multitudes like these out. Because of their prioritizing of the letter of the law, they reject Jesus. So he breaks their Sabbath laws and he, they say, claims equality with God. And so we can say in summation that they're, they're rejecting Jesus due to their orientation to the law. I believe this is not simply the Jewish problem. There is a law and order Christianity, which imagines faith obliges complete submission to law and authority. In this sort of Christianity, when a child is abused at the border of our country, it is noted that the child's parents were breaking the law and so the abuse is warranted. When a young black man is shot, it is assumed by this Christianity, or those who practice it, well, he must be a lawbreaker. The law becomes the basis for refusing the immigrant, the asylum seeker, the abused wife or child as it presumes their suffering is a punishment, a result of transgressing the law. So undocumented workers, insubordinate women, blacks killed by the police. They're presumed by the very circumstance of their life to have it coming. Actually, this is what someone, uh, a very gentle woman said to me. I don't know if you remember, some years back in Moberly, a young man was killed by the police. They tasered him to death. And I was shocked to hear her say, well, he had it coming because he challenged the police. Um, Authorities must be obeyed And issues of social justice, racism, misogyny, caging children. These are of a secondary concern. Isn't this what the New Testament teaches? Jeff Session tells us to obey the authorities, no matter what. But my question is, this really Christianity? Does a Christianity which insists we must harm others for the law, does it deserve the name? If Jesus had obeyed the authorities, he would not have died. He would not have challenged the Jewish authorities regarding the Sabbath. He would have ceased healing on the Sabbath. If Jesus had obeyed the authorities, he would have simply been another good Jewish citizen. He would not have broken the Roman seal on his tomb, demanding that it remain closed and that he stay dead. He would not have gone into the temple to challenge the authorities. He would not challenge Pilate or the Roman authorities with this whole idea of being a king. If Jesus simply obeyed the authorities, there would be no Christianity. And where Christians simply obey the authorities, there is no Christianity. If the apostles had obeyed the authorities, you know, the Sanhedrin said, stop preaching. They would have ceased preaching. They would have gone back to fishing, maybe. They would not have suffered martyrdom, certainly. Certainly. Paul would not have been beheaded if he were obedient to the authorities. So if Christians were obedient to the authorities, there would have never been any Christian martyrs. If Christians were obedient to the powers that be to the authorities, there would have been no world revolution in which slaves are freed, women are no longer oppressed, children are no longer treated as disposable. An obedient, subservient, unquestioning Christianity, I think, is no Christianity at all. A Christianity that can endorse hurting children, that can support imprisoning women and children, that can endorse evil, perhaps this is not Christianity. So the question is, how do we get a Christianity that I think doesn't deserve the name, And that supports evil. And partly we get a Pharisaical Christianity in the same way we get a Pharisaical Judaism. The laws are presumed to be an end in themselves. Yet the resolution to this Jewish Pharisaism is precisely that Christ came. The one who made the law and who made the world puts the law in perspective. And so the Sabbath controversy is not simply... A controversy about the role, about the law, it's really a controversy about the purpose of creation and God's relationship to creation. The seventh day, after all, you know, that's the reference. John references Genesis in the beginning, you know, at the beginning of the book. Here he references uh, Genesis that on the seventh day when God rested. Jesus says, My Father has been working and I too am working from then until now. Right now, he's saying, On this day, God's working. The Jews understood, even in their, they understood that God did not cease his providential care. You know, as Paul says, he holds all things together. Of course, Paul is saying this about Christ. And on the seventh day, then, God has not departed he continues that care in the beginning makes it clear you know at the beginning of the book that god's providence his redemption is bring, being brought to bear in this man jesus the one who created and cares for the universe is now in the universe here the son of god brings the father's providential care to bear on this paralytic here is god Caring for this man and the paralytic, maybe like the cosmos itself, like the multitude, like the the sick, the blind, the lame, the withered, those who are waiting, is dependent, it's inactive in and of itself, awaiting the command of God. And so, even in you know, when the Jewish authorities say, Well, who told you to carry that map? He said, Well. Jesus told me to do so, and so I'm doing it. So from John 5.21, the the lesson here that Jesus draws, he tells the man, rise up. He tells, you know, the paralytic. And then in 21, he says that, he talks about, uh, that this is a reference to the resurrection. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Jesus is at work in restoring creation's purpose, and this is the meaning of the Sabbath. This is the whole point of the Sabbath. Jesus describes his mission as preparing a place for you. But of course, this was the whole point of creation itself, a place for God and man to dwell together, and this is what the Sabbath celebrates. The power which gave birth to creation provides new birth then through this same word, My father and I are both working in this providential, redemptive activity of God. They're brought together in Christ. The one who cares for creation is now exercising this care specifically for this paralyzed man. But of course, the Metaphor or the picture of the the, the paralyzed man is that the sick, the blind, the lame, the withered, those who are waiting need no longer wait because the creator and redeemer of the universe has come. And so throughout John and throughout the gospels, the miracles of Jesus, natural phenomena within creation are linked to salvation. The one who through the processes of nature, you know, we... uh, that brings about the growth of grapes, who brings about the process of fermentation, makes himself known when he turns water into wine instantly. But this is what he always does providentially, and that's the point. Here is the Lord of creation. Creation serves as the arena and the symbol of the work of the Son of Man. This is what Jesus says in 9, 4-5. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light, the creator of the sun, the moon, the stars, but he's also the giver of the light of redemption, which is now at work redeeming the world from night. The Jews, the Pharisees, maybe the modern-day Pharisees, imagine creation's purpose is captured within the law, within the first six days, within the closed cosmic order. But Jesus says, Do not work for food which perishes, but the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. God's providential care, His universal work, is now specifically being worked out through Christ. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The one who is created can recreate and redeem. And that's that's what Jesus is arguing here about the purpose of the Sabbath. The one who can halt the wind and the waves. He can multiply the fruit of the vine. He can cause bread to multiply. He can... Provide spiritual nourishment. And so the healing of the paralytic is an example of the life giving activity given to the Son by the Father. Jesus says the Father is the one who gives life, raising the dead, but just as the Father gives them life, so even the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. So the healing of the paralytic points to the resurrection of the dead, to recreation. Here, you know, this is what we've described. John's story is recreation commenced, and it continues in this story. John the Baptist, you know, he's representative of the prophets, the law. Here's the relationship between the law and Christ. John points to the light just as the law pointed beyond itself and ceased to have importance in itself. The Jews argued, you know, this is Philo very early on, had understood the law, certainly has a deeper spiritual reality. But they always assumed you need the the law itself. But John teaches us that the law of Moses, the Sabbath, the festivals, the the circumcision, these only give witness to the activity of the Creator who is now here, who is now among us. They do not have importance in themselves and they are no longer binding. And so, you know, Philo, the Jews, they thought, well, there are universal principles and activity, but they're always tied to the observances, the specific observances of the law. And this is what, there are some then, that, and this is why the Jews are going to condemn Jesus, but there's a basic difference between the spiritualizing Jews, whom Philo criticizes, And the views expressed here in John, according to John, the laws of Moses and the specific observances, you know, giving witness to the activity of the Creator through the Son, are coming, it is the specific historical person of Jesus of Nazareth. That is, in this particular person, the universal law is being realized. The Jews instead cling to the particular laws. It's like they cling to the sign instead of the thing the sign signifies. The law just pointed to Jesus. But they want the thing that is signing or pointing. And for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. It says this two times. The they, wanted to, they were seeking to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was calling God his own father. Maybe we can understand the Pharisees. But in understanding, we should not wipe out the basic evil they represent. Christ is confronting evil. And I believe that the modern day Pharisee Christians represent the same sort of evil. They are keepers, maybe owners, of the law. The law gives them position and power and control. They are the gatekeepers. That's what the law does. It is a border kind of guard. The Pharisee has his immediate reward in the pleasure and power he derives through the law. He reenacts it. He enforces it. You know, he punishes those under the law. And maybe the authoritarian always enjoys exercising his obscene authority. And if his religion provides support for his pleasure, then there is almost no possibility that he can glimpse his own evil. The religious elite, the policeman or politician who abuses his power, proves his power. You know, he satisfies His desire for power through the abuse. The misogynist derives pleasure from his abuse of women. The patriarch, through his authoritarian power, oppression, enjoys this power. I've witnessed it. We've all witnessed the perverse pleasure of someone who likes hurting other people because in and through the law. I'm doing this in the name of God and they feel perfectly comfortable. I believe when we come into the presence of someone like that, we're in the presence of pure evil. The Nazi camp guard, the abusive father, the sadistic policeman, the domineering husband, they derive an immediate pleasure from enforcing and establishing the law. The sadistic Christian or politician or administrator enjoys wielding his authority and enacting it through punishing and sacrificing those under his power. The difference between the Christian administrator and the Nazi is that the Christian imagines he's enacting God's will. And here is the perfect evil. So there is a Christianity which delights in the law and which does not mind keeping the sick, the blind, the lame, the withered waiting. This Christianity does not mind hurting children, the foreigner, the stranger. It does not mind excluding. It does not mind casting out. In this Christianity, Christ himself was required to die at the hands of his father so that the law would be established. We have penal substitution. We have complementarianism. We have patriarchy. All of these combine to render the law absolute. And the New Testament turns out not to be a book about intervening into this evil orientation to the law, but Christianity becomes a means of establishing it. Christianity of this kind cannot care for widows, orphans, and outcasts as they they are on the wrong side of the wall law. And of course the Jewish law was always a border law. It aimed at keeping the sick multitudes, the Gentiles, out. The lame, the sick, the paralyzed, they need to be kept in their place, outside of the temple, outside of true Israel. Their suffering serves to locate the law and its work, keeping those favored by God, favored by the law, hedged in. And so it's precisely through punishment that the law is felt to be established. It may be that there is a perverse pleasure that's derived. The pleasure is found in the fact that the law is doing it, so that the immediate suffering and pleasure is the assurance. Oh, here we see the law at work. Children wailing at the border are a living proof that the border laws are effectively established. The lame, the sick, the paralyzed need to be kept in their place. And so the law, this perverse understanding, needs its transgressors. Transgressors, It needs sacrifice so as to assert its border, to assert itself as the law. And this closure of the law upon those in its grasp or protective embrace is its reward and its punishment. That is, some are rewarded because they see others being punished. And the greater the sacrifice, the more absolute the protection that the true adherents feel. They're provided absolute security. And they're freed from all questions. After all, to question the law would be the equivalent of opening the border. The geographical or psychic border. For the Jews, this would mean the paralytic, the sick, the outsiders, might perhaps be permitted as God's children. For Americans, it would mean brown foreigners could get into our sacred space. The danger of questioning the law is that the law and identity attached to the law would turn out to be an imposter, and that one's desire, which is really just equated with the law, is pure evil, and it would be exposed as pure evil. In psychoanalysis, there is a term for this, for someone who is incapable of questioning the law and whose entire effort is aimed at establishing the law. This sort of individual disavows any inadequacy. The law is perfect. The law lacks nothing. And they want to ensure that the law is fulfilled or completed, whether it is hurting children or killing the Son of God. In psychoanalysis, the technical term is pervert. Jesus refers to these people as sons of hell. And the irony in Jeff Sessions quoting Romans 13 to squelch questions in regard to the law is that New Testament Christianity, and Romans in particular, is an intervention into a religion that would absolutize the law. The religious support of the law in which the law is you know, established, protected as absolute. Maybe that's just what religion always does idolatrous and sacrificial religion. It always personifies the laws an absolute other through sacrifice and punishment. And the gods always offer zero tolerance lest their deity and existence be opened to questioning. Pharisaical religion is the human problem that Christ came to resolve. It is the specific problem Paul addresses at length in Romans. In other words, the very book that Sessions quotes is a denial of the absoluteness of law. But Jeff Sessions assures us the children must be made to suffer so that the law is established. The Pharisees are certain that Jesus must die, that their law and nation will be preserved. The practitioners of this dead religion read everything through the law. And Jesus and Paul tell us they are among the living dead. So how we understand the Sabbath controversies will be how we understand the purpose of the law in comparison to the purposes of creation and redemption. Sabbath laws were key to the Jews. But they pointed to the importance of the seventh day in creation and as an insight to redemption. God is working. Jesus is working. And this new work is the redemptive activity of God in Christ to which we are all called. This work is more important than any law, any principality in power, any earthly king or politician. Let's see. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, For more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.